my, my job is to somehow make them curious enough or persuade them by hook or crook to get more aware of themselves and where they came from and what they are into and what is already there and just to bring it out. This is what compels me to compel them. And I will do it by whatever means necessary. Welcome to the Black Girls Heal podcast, where we talk about healing our intimacy disorders, unresolved trauma, and building a healthy relationship with first ourselves and then others. Every episode, we will talk about advice you can apply today to break unhealthy patterns and grow in your self-worth. I'm Sheena Lachey, love addiction coach and trauma specialist. Let's begin. Hello, hello, and welcome to the latest episode of Black Girls Heal. I am coming at you today from my office, so the sound may sound different. (laughs) There may be a little bit of an echo. As those of you who are devoted listeners know, I usually record in my bedroom where there's a lot of sound insulation between blankets and furniture and everything else. And in my office, there's furniture, there's my desk, there's other things, there's even the sound boards on the wall. But it definitely is not as cushioned as normal. So hopefully I am coming out clearly, but I'm having to record in my office because some of you may know I have a little four-year-old here who is with me for the next couple of weeks while he is recovering from his tonsillectomy and his adenoidectomy and his ear tubes being put in. And little man loves, loves his mommy. And he loves what mommy is recording. And I am just trying to hide to record this while he is on his iPad. And so um, there might be a little voice who's a part of this episode, or there might be where I'm teaching and then there's a jump and the sound quality is different because now I'm recording in a different room. So (laughs) this. Bear with me, y'all. But for today's episode, uh, oh, by the way, I had a great birthday. So thank you to everyone who shared happy birthday and best best wishes for me. But uh, today's episode, a month or so ago, I did an episode that talked about the four therapeutic tasks that I would do when I was practicing as a therapist for people who struggle with love avoidance. So for those of you who don't know, I was a licensed therapist for over 12 years before I retired my license to coach and support women with love addiction, love avoidance, and love deprivation and the trauma that causes it full-time here via the podcast and via my coaching, private coaching and via my coaching programs and all the other things that I make books and everything else. And so, but I loved being a therapist. I love being a therapist. I love my clients. I love the practice of therapy and the flow of therapy and the energy of therapy just for me, I know not every clinician gets to a place if they are doing two different types of support where they have to make a choice. For me, I felt like I I needed to, but I still love and really encourage even my coaching clients to still see a therapist, especially if there is really deep trauma that is coming up with the work that we are doing and helping them change their relationships and improve their self-esteem. And so what I did in the episode A- month or so ago, as I talked about when I had someone who came into my office who presented with issues of being love avoidant, I talked about the four different therapeutic tasks that I would do with them to help them get to the other side. And so I'm going to do that today for love addiction. So just as a disclaimer, for those of you who are new to this podcast or new to my teaching here, when I talk about therapeutic tasks, I'm not going to be talking in specific clinical language. Uh, And so I'm not going to be using all of the words or really many of the words that uh, typically licensed mental health clinicians talk about in our treatment plans, because I want to make sure that you understand what it is that I would want for you to achieve as a love addict who is breaking these patterns so that you can take this into your everyday life and feel like this is for you, that I'm talking with you and not to you. And so hopefully everything that I share here are things that you're like, oh yeah, I've absolutely worked with that or worked on that in therapy. Those are things that I'm working on right now. Those are things that I want to work on right now and that this helps you make that jump. 
Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. Before we get started, let's take a small break to say thank you to this week's sponsors. Okay, so I have a question for you. On a scale of zero to five, where zero is, I don't think about it at all, and five is, I'm fully connected, how on top of your hormone health are you? If you said zero to one, it is time to build that connection. Your hormones and your cycle are central to your overall functioning and regulating your body will completely transform your mental, emotional, and physical health. Happy Mammoth, the company that created Hormone Harmony, is dedicated to making women's lives easier. And that means using only science-backed ingredients that have been proven to work for women. They make no compromise when it comes to quality and it shows. Hormone Harmony contains science-backed herbal extracts called adaptogens. Now here's the beauty about adaptogens. They help the body adapt to any stressors, like chaotic hormonal changes that happen naturally throughout a woman's life. And even though it helps for more than just menopause, Hormone Harmony is great for any horrible menopausal symptoms that put a woman's life on hold, like hot flashes and night sweats, raising thoughts, low mood, poor sleep, feeling tired all the time, bloating and gas, lower sexual desire. Hormone Harmony can help with all of those things. For a limited time, you can get 15% off your entire first order at happymammoth.com. Just use the code BGH at checkout. So let's go ahead and jump on in and talk about it. So as I wrote out this list and I was kind of going over it, I realized something that I'm not sure if I pointed out in the love avoidance episode about the goals that I would have for clients is that I noticed that the goals that I have written here that I'm going to share with you, share with you today are more open-ended versus direct like I would have with my coaching clients. So with my coaching clients, when I have down the things that I want my students to achieve as I go through the program, it is exit all these relationships. It is directly create these boundaries, make these lists, set these standards, create this type of routine. Like it is very much action-oriented. And in therapy, everything that I'm going to share with you are more more fluid flowing changes that absolutely lead to a person exiting toxic relationships, making better choices, increasing their self-esteem, creating a routine that really adds to their to their daily life, helps improve everything in their family, their romantic partnerships, um, helps break generational curses. Like all those things absolutely happen, but it happens at a slower pace because in therapy is more about the process and you working through it and you learning things about yourself and you discovering things about yourself there. You know, you could have a clinician that is really good and sees all the things that may be happening, but there is no better reward and there's no better or at least no higher impact than what happens when your therapist expertly leads you to a place where you make the revolution revelation and you make the discovery that you're like, wait, has it been this way all the time? Or I think this is what I actually want. And I think this is what I actually desire. And I think that I can actually change my mind about this. And I think I can say yes to this. And I think I can say no to this. You coming to a place where you realize your own empowerment and you realize that you've always had the answers inside of you this whole time and that you are strong enough and you are good enough and you are valuable enough, that type of of transformation is 10 times more impactful than if your therapist laid it out for you within the first session. In fact, you might even, depending on the style of your therapist or your clinician, may have may really love the person that you're with because they are super intuitive and they are really great at seeing things. But if you do have that type of person, you also know that you've gone to sessions and they've said something and you heard it, but you didn't quite receive it. And then a few months down the road, you rediscovered what they said to you before because now it's your own it, it came from your own internal belief system. It came from your own experience. It was generated by you. Of course, the seed was planted, but now it came from you. So that's what I mean. You know, therapy, therapy is incredible because of that transformation that it gives, but it does give it at a slower pace. Um, and so these goals may seem more nondescript or intangible, or maybe compared to coaching objectives that they are 
you know, in fact, one of the criticisms that I get from a lot of my coaching students who come to work with me is that they have been in therapy and whether or not they love their therapist or they have not had a good experience, but they've been in therapy for a significant amount of time and they have not made movement. And so they're actually looking to make some visible movement. I believe that when you're with the right person who's totally attuned to you, who is working with you on your goals, you're going to get there. And um, it just may take a little bit longer. And so when it when that's the case, it's really, really important for you to celebrate each one of the baby steps that you make along the way. Do not do not put your mind so much on who you think you're supposed to be or what you think is supposed to happen that you miss out on all the blessings that you miss out on all the moments along the way that shows that you are transforming, that shows that you are growing, that shows that what you are doing is actually working. You know, you are a different person today than you were a month ago, three months ago, a year ago. And that is worth acknowledging and giving her a pat on the back. So with that said, the first goal that I usually try to work with women who come in for love addiction with is to help gain clarity on whatever unstable relationship they, they are currently in. So something that I notice with women who present as love addicts is when it came to me working with them in therapy, they rarely, if ever, came to therapy unless they were currently in a relationship or a situationship with someone who was avoidant and kind of dragging them through it. If they were not currently in emotional distress around it, they rarely came into therapy um, because outside of that, they were either using the relationship to cope and really trying to work on it and really trying to prove it, or they were rotating their ways that they would self-medicate and self-soothe with other ways to distract themselves. So they would either be in a situationship or exiting a situationship or really unhealthy relationship or avoidant relationship or narcissistic relationship. And they would go and over-focus on work or they were over-focus on getting their body right and working on their health. Or they would over-focus on getting their business off the ground or they would over-focus on their education or their kids. And they would shift their focus from um, looking for this relationship to make them feel better and heal the wounds on the inside to something else. And only when either they're currently in a relationship that was kind of dragging them through it, or they have rotated all of these other coping mechanisms, alcohol, you know, drugs, whatever it may be, sex, uh, you know, going out, having a rotation, or whatever it may be, and it gets to a place where now there's consequences everywhere, then they may come to therapy. But for the most part, love addicts didn't really come to to work with me unless they were in emotional pain around it. So for me, my goal was to really help them. So whether or not a person that struggles with love addiction is coming because they are currently in a situationship or relationship with someone who is maybe um, avoidant, maybe even someone who is a great partner, um, but they're pushing them away or a narcissist, whatever is happening, they are really triggered. There are so many things that are happening that is making them feel as if they are too much or they are not enough. They are feeling un, unaffirmed by their partner. They are feeling um, their their abandonment wounds and their rejection wounds are fully inflamed. They are on fire and they are usually feeling a lot of shame, a lot of shame that they are even in pain. So I don't know why I feel this way. I should know better. It's not even that big of a deal. Um, I should be stronger than this. Such and such has told me this. I hate that I keep coming back to this place. And they are actively rejecting themselves. And so it's really important for me for them to know that they are that whatever they are feeling and whatever they are thinking that it is it is valid that they have a right to feel those things that they don't need to hide from those emotions or feel like they are problematic or that they are a burden and and me being able to do that and providing that safe space for them to feel then they are able to kind of look at does this relationship give me that as well and are there things that I'm asking from this relationship that are available for me here? Or am I trying to hope for them to be available here? And the ability to think critically and logically about your relationship and without going to the opposite of extreme of avoidance is so important. I think a lot of folks 
I, I get the question all the time from people who are like, well, can I be love avoidant and love addictive too? And absolutely. They're, they're the same. They're both intimacy disorders and you just go across the spectrum. You, you switch depending on what's going on, depending on whatever coping mechanism is needed at the time, whatever defense, whatever buffer or cushion that your, your heart and your soul needs, that is what you may tap into. And so the way love addicts become logical is they try to get to a place where they don't care, where they just kind of freeze the person out, where they get cold, where they try to become super aloof and act as if that relationship, that person, that fantasy doesn't mean anything. But for them to do that, they're cutting off their emotions. They're cutting off the truth that they do care about this person, that they do care about companionship, that they do... um care about being seen or being validated or being chosen or being loved and that love and connection are important. And so they go to the opposite extreme from being super, super enmeshed and super attached or over-attached to going to a place where they try to not be attached at all. And that's not where you want to be. You want to be in the middle. You want to be able to validate both your experience and also both what the reality of what's going on to realize that two things can be true at the same time. I can be fully in love. I can be fully here. I can be fully present and really want this. And what is actually here for me? What is actually available for me? And that can be a really hard thing to be able to hold at the same time. They can think that, well, especially before they start working on these things, they can think, well, everything else in my life is great. I just need this relationship to be, you know, my friendships are good. My work is good. My self-esteem is good. This is the only thing that's really stressing me out, which is why it's really easy for them to focus on getting this relationship right, which I'm going to talk about in a moment that that is nine times out of 10, not the case that usually if one part of the house is on fire, that is probably because there's a leak, a gas leak or something in another part of the house, you know, that's feeding this. And so we got to look at all of the sources that are contributing to this fire that caused this fire. So they go from feeling as if they if they just fix this, that it's going to be okay. And then the opposite extreme was, if I don't feel anything, then I'm going to feel better. When feelings are what give us, yes, pain comes with it. Yes, some anger comes with it. Yes, betrayal, frustration comes with it. But also what comes with our connection to our heart is love, hope, optimism, pleasure, fun, laughter, like all those things, the richness of life comes fully from our heart and being connected to it. And But when we give our heart to dangerous people or dangerous things, or when we self-abandon, that's what makes all this really messy. That's what makes all this really hard to to differentiate. And so helping them get to a place where they can validate their emotions and also um, leading them, helping them, feeding them, directing them to a place where they're able to see that they can have coherent, sane, lucid thoughts related to this partnership and this relationship and still feel their feelings. They don't have to choose between the two is really a relief for them because especially most most people are coming from friends and family members who are tired of hearing this. They're tired of them keep going. They're tired of hearing them keep going back to the same person, the same relationship. They're tired of them choosing to um, to go towards a problem instead of stepping away. And a lot of their patience has kind of run out. And they are now, even if they started off really soft, they are now more at the tough love spot. So to have a person that is able to patiently reflect and hold space for them and allow them to go through these cycles as many times as they need to without judgment and for it to always be a safe space. I mean, I I can just remember, and I mean, it even happens too with my coaching clients too, where they will kind of with some trepidation say, that they answered a text or that they hung out with someone again, or that they um, are um, reconciling with someone. And there's kind of this sheepish, almost fear of what I'm going to say or what I'm going to think. Like even sometimes even looking down or having a hard time making eye contact. And when I meet them with acceptance and when I'll meet them with warmth and when I'll meet them with understanding and validation and love, it's like their shoulders can relax and they can look up again. And um, you can you can feel the tension in the room or tension in their body start to relax. And it's like, wait, this is okay. And I'm okay because they're understanding that 
who they are and what they want is not defined by their choices and that they have a freedom to choose. And when I think a lot of love addicts, part of our trauma is that we were not ever given the opportunity to choose. We had to do what other people were forcing us to do or for us to survive, we had to become people pleasers and we had to kind of read the room and do what other people expected us to. So even as we grow up into adults, sometimes that can look like us forcing ourselves to take the good advice from friends and family members because of their pressure, because of their judgment. And we're doing things not because it's connected to our heart or connected to what we want or connected to what's going to make us feel better, but because we know that that's what they are expecting us to do. We don't want to look silly. We don't want to look we don't want to look foolish. We don't want to look like a pick me. We don't want to look like we are a bird or whatever phrase, you know, you and your, your, your family, your group use to talk about making foolish decisions. We don't want to look like that. And we don't want to feel like that. But really the true empowerment is to know that you get to make decisions for yourself. As long as you are making it from a place of wholeness, as long as you are fully connected to your intuition, to your body, to your source, and you're making that decision, it's, it doesn't even really matter what's going to happen on the other side because you're going to learn from it. If I make a decision out of fear, if I answer that text out of fear, if I get back with that person out of fear, if I cut the person off out of fear of being hurt, out of fear of judgment, whatever, either side of those coins are going to be the wrong decision for me that I'm going to either regret or want to backtrack on or do differently because I'm making it not from a place of wholeness and confidence, but because I'm worried about something, either worried about my own personal self-judgment or the judgment of other people or the rejection of somebody or someone abandoning me. I need to get to a place where I'm connected to me. and so. It's really a goal for me to help my clients get to a place where they are able to trust themselves and trust their voice. And then from there, they're able to make a decision of what they want to do about this relationship, if anything. If they are going to move forward and use all of the healthy communication and coping skills and really show up with their self-esteem and show up with setting boundaries, show up with moving towards the person versus away, then we do that. If they decide that they want to make some space and take some distance from this person or maybe eventually separate, then we do that as well. But they are maybe for the first time the drivers of their life, or actually they've always been the drivers of their life, but maybe they didn't realize that they had the steering wheel in their hands or they would give the steering wheel to other people. And it's so important for them to know that they are the ones in charge and that they have their own self-ownership and they have their own identity and they get to choose. They get to make their life what they want. So with that said, let's say we get to a place with whether or not the person is single or um, uh, soon to be single or deciding to be single, but they have identified and they agree that they have been in a love addictive cycle and they are ready to do something different. I never force this on clients. I may suggest it and it's up to them to decide what they want to do, if they want to do it and at what time they want to do it throughout the process. But those of you know, some of you know, I'm very much a fan of the no contact process. For me, the way that I teach it, it is not a punishment technique. I know some people teach no contact as a way to get someone to come back around to you. Um, I teach no contact as basically another version or another Title for doing your own self-love detox. So during that time, I'm encouraging my clients to create distance from addictive relationships that they have been depending on for their own sense of self-worth, value, romance, connection, um, and romance in that the fantasy of romance, not because they're actually being romanced by this person. Again, these are toxic relationships and people who have not been showing up for them. And then even for my folks who are serial monogamers and really have a hard time learning how to affirm themselves. And so they always have someone in the rotation in the background because they haven't really had any significant or real time with themselves. I encourage there's no contact process because the process, them eliminating contact with these people is literally step one out of step 20. It is just kind of the first step to get you to a place where you're fully focusing on you, but you're also building a life that you want. Because a lot of times love addicts are so addicted or 
attached to certain people and things because of the the trade-off, what that relationship is giving them or what they hope that relationship will give them, what they the security they hope that relationship will give them, the the freedom, the liberation, the relief that the relationship will give them, the distraction from their everyday life, the love and the affirmation, the fun that they don't have otherwise. And so it really is about learning how to create that life for yourself and not just doing it because you're passing the time, not doing it because you heard a podcast that told you to do it, not doing it because, you know, people told you that you just have to learn how to be happy by yourself and then your person will come, but truly because you're tired of being sad. You're tired of being feeling alone. You're tired of feeling sick and tired of being sick and tired. And you really want to create a change for yourself. And so I encourage my folks to do no contact from a place of wholeness. If you start to do no contact because you're mad at somebody, as soon as that anger goes away, which is usually between three to seven business days at the most, uh, your, your, your intensity or your commitment to staying on track with no contact is going to go away. You're going to slip and start looking at social media, looking at messages, even if you don't ever respond to them. And all those things just plant seeds for you to reconnect with that person down the road, if not the next day. And so it's really important for, it's really important if ever I had a client that needed to do this because they were just really spiraling and it was really hard for them to feel affirmed on the the inside for them to do this no contact slash self-love bubble detox bubble to really reset, you know, reset their nervous system, reset their body. And within that, we are creating that life. We are learning what is it that I like? What is it that I don't like? Who am I? What is my personality? Hey, we hope you're enjoying the podcast so far. Let's take a quick break to say thanks to this week's sponsors. As our country continues to grow and make new meaning of the intersection between current and historical events, it is so important to stay connected to the voices and the leaders who are influencing what progress, connection, equality, and truth mean to us as Black people. The next generation of influential Black voices can be found on NPR's new collection, Black Stories, Black Truths. Black Stories, Black Truths is a celebration of Blackness from NPR. Each of NPR's Black voices are as distinct, varied, and nuanced as the Black experience itself. In the Black Stories, Black Truths collection, you'll hear stories of joy, resilience, empowerment, and creating world-shifting things out of struggle. Every episode is a living account about what it means to be Black today, told from a unique Black perspective. From Bobby Shmurda to The Wire, Michelle Obama to reparations, there's no limit to the range of Black stories, Black truths. Black perspectives haven't always been centered in the telling of America's story. Now they are the story. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection from some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the Black experience. Here, a feed of episodes from across NPR's podcast that center Black voices. It's NPR Noir. Turn on NPR today and hear a range of voices as varied, nuanced, and Black as the country we reflect. Stories should never be about us without us. Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths on NPR, wherever you get your podcasts. And I can't say this enough because I, I still get messages all this all the time, or if I'm working with a new client, women of all ages, y'all, I can't tell you enough, women of all ages, from 20s to 50s and 60s, have told me I'm this age and I don't even know what I like. I don't know what I want. I don't know who I am. And these are women who are my professionals. These are women who are teachers. These are women who are stay-at-home moms. These are women who are students. It's across the board. I think if you have if you have lived a life that is not for you, and you have not been able to give yourself permission to discover what it is that you want, or if you're someone who's like me, who was an overachiever and you followed all the rules and you didn't get the life or you didn't get the output that you were promised or that you were told to get, or you didn't at least have the feelings on the other side once everything is accomplished that you actually feel better or feel full or full whole, then it's like, okay, well, what's next or what's going on? And there's this feeling of feeling lost. And so helping women learn who they are and learn how to enjoy themselves is huge. It is a huge component of, um, of our process of working together in therapy and even for my coaching students now, you know, for those who are going through 
no contact processes and detoxes. And they all know literally one of the assignments that they have to do is to create a schedule. We talk about hobbies and making space and time for themselves. And so it's really, really important. But even more so, more so learning how to get in touch with your body. Near the end of my time as a therapist is when I was really getting more introduced to somatic work and body work. And I was under, I was in the process of getting certified to become a somatic body worker. And so under Peter Levine's um, treatment model. And I know that there are, at the time I'm recording this, there are some other certifications around somatic experiencing and somatic trauma healing and things. And so that's why I make that differentiation for those where that means anything to you. I saw firsthand how incorporating body work completely shifted so many things in therapy too, because I would have my clients who were making really great strides and really great improvements, but we were still talking in our heads, right? We're still logically breaking down emotions, feelings, you know, making plans and stuff. But once we kind of got quiet and we had, and I had them shift into their bodies and do boundary work and um, learn how to get grounded, um, especially if they were getting really dysregulated or just really anxious about what was going on, it shifted so much. And it was always funny to see my clients who hated being in their body. And, and they were like, what? what the fuck does this have to do? <laughs> you're telling me to stop. You're interrupting my story to tell me to breathe. And they would give me a look, but you know, because they trusted me, they would eventually do it. <laughs> but they're like, all right, Gina, whatever. I'll roll my shoulders. I'll do whatever. Okay, whatever. I'll move my jaw around or whatever it was that I um, um, suggested or, you know, led them to to do if they wanted to do. And watching them like, breathe heavy sighs of relief and and really truly be able to tap into the fact that there's freedom within your body, that the world can be on fire around you. But if you are able to tap into feeling calm in your body, it is going to change everything. Um, that is why I really suggest, so for those of you who don't know, on our website, blackgirlsheal.org, there is under the free resources, there is a page that says how to find a therapist. And I talk about my favorite therapy models. And the two therapy models that are at the top of the list are EMDR. And you can read more about why I talk about EMDR is what I suggest everyone to go and do. And also somatic experiencing for what I'm saying right now. When it comes to trauma, we can heal and work through so much with our brain. But we have to incorporate the body because our body remembers trauma and it holds on to it. And it can give us panic attacks, which feels like out of nowhere, makes us feel really sad. It's really hard for us. You know, we can be having a great day and all of a sudden feel really low. And I can't tell you how many times I've done tapping or some kind of body work and I've gotten into my body and I'm like, huh, I actually feel better. And it's always, you know, I teach this stuff and it's still surprising to me. It's still like, I didn't think that that was going to work. And yes, it, and yet it did. <laughs> so the next therapeutic thing that I would really want my clients to do, I talked about the first one was gain clarity around an unstable or addictive relationship. The second thing I want my clients to do if they were open to it is attempting a period of no contact or a self-love bubble. And yes, there would be modifications for those who are in committed partnerships and relationships, especially um, if that partnership was healthy or had the had the the possibility of becoming healthier. And y'all, I'm probably going to talk about this in another podcast episode, but I'm just going to say this right here. Sometimes when you are in a partnership, you are in a partnership with someone that you shouldn't be with. And no matter what you do, it's not going to work. And sometimes you're in a partnership with someone who is either currently great or they have the potential to be great. And having the potential to be great is not the same as a Bob the Builder thing. When I say potential to be great, it means that this person has the qualities of being someone who is protective of you, who cares for you, who loves you, um, and wants the best for you in the relationship and is willing. But if you're coming in with your own trauma, with your own projections, with your own lack of trust, you can ruin a good thing. And so... I have worked with women who have had all those experiences, that they're with someone that they should have never got with in the first place. They are with someone who is really great and it's me helping them 
let go of their defense mechanisms and move towards this person, or they have this relationship has soured and there may be a lot of focus on how this other person is the problem when there needs to be a mirror to look at, okay, let's look at what you're doing. Let's look at how you have created, you have been a part of the cycle that has been created. And let's look at you working on your things and you pulling back on the only thing that you can control, which is yourself, instead of focusing on what your partner is doing wrong. And let's see if when you get yourself together, it creates space for your partner to unfurl, to rise up, to bloom again, and for you to have the relationship that you've always supposed to have, right? And so self-accountability is so important in this. And I think right now, especially now, when there's so many voices that are feeding this divide between it's their fault. No, it's their fault. You know, we're, we're perfect and they need to get their stuff together. That may be true. And there, it could also be true that some of us are coming with some things that are not on our radar and that we need to practice some self-honesty and look at and see, are we either part of the problem or for some of us, we might actually be the problem. So um, just wanted to drop that here for anyone who may have needed that nugget. Um, but with that, um, this is, that statement is not a good transition to this next one, (laughs) but, uh, well, maybe it is, but the next thing that I would really want my clients who came to me when I was practicing as a therapist to know and to believe by the time that we ended working, ended working together on these issues is that their needs are valuable to be a love addict is to be in this perpetual state of becoming needless and wantless and feeling as if what you're asking for is too much, unreasonable, um, or preparing yourself to settle. So you may set a standard or set a boundary or you know give an ultimatum to a partner, to a parent, to a friend. And uh, when they do not fulfill those full obligations, even if you say something about it, you're still accepting it. And you're still you know trying to make do with it maybe give them the benefit of the doubt, give them more time, take the little crumbs that they have given you, but it is not actually what you want. And one of my goals for my clients is to help them understand that you actually have needs and that it's okay for you to have needs and it's okay for your needs to be loud. And for the most part, I know I've said this before, all the things that women are asking for, at least the women that I'm asking for are completely reasonable. They're completely reasonable and basic minimum standards. I know I've talked about how, you know, sometimes with my clients who are single and looking to date, we'll do a variation of how people talk about making a list of what you want. And it, it happened so, so many times that my students would feel weird about putting kindness or putting that they are responsive or putting you know, something that's just basic love and tenderness at the top of their list because they had all these what ifs and they had all this internalized shame from people who run over them acting as if what they're asking for is too much. And no, we, I want you and I would want my clients to get to a place where they realize that they are a full human being and soul on this earth that deserves and, and, and needs to take up space. That the more that you shine, the more that you ask, the more that you require, the healthier you are and the healthier you are, the better your relationships get. And so helping them reconnect or maybe even connect for the first time to that sense of self is huge. And that's also part of discovering who they are, what they want, what their preferences are. You know, even recently I have had some clients who have come to this place with their friendships, you know, they have friendships that are transitioning and that are changing. And that's what used to work before does not work anymore. And that's okay. That doesn't mean that they're cutting these friendships off. It just means that this level that they, that they are at, they know that they need to shift and who they're letting in their inner circle and who is on the sidelines. And maybe if they grow back together down the road, then they'll do that. But um, this happens and that's okay. It's okay once you get clear on what your needs are and when you get to a place where you're no longer willing to um, to compromise on it and to settle. And then the fourth thing that I will work with my 
therapy clients on making changes in all of their codependent relationships. So this was not necessarily a goal. Very rarely was this a goal when clients came in. Again, for the most part, if a person was a love addict, they were coming in because of something that was happening or not happening romantically that they wanted to work on. And there may be a couple of like little things in the background with conflict with their mom or with their dad or with a sibling or with a friend. But for the most part, it was these romantic partnerships or maybe their self-esteem around their partnerships that they wanted to focus on. Me, knowing that where there's smoke, there's a fire, I know that everything is interconnected and wherever you go, there you are. And so even if they're coming for this romantic stuff or this self-esteem stuff, that most likely there's some stuff in these other um, relationship domains as well, whether or not it's work relationships, friendship, family, but for the most part, it's usually everywhere. Everywhere there was some type of um, maladaptive things things that were going on. And my clients would have different variations or different levels of ways that they would cope with that or fix it or solutions for it that may be keeping some issues at bay more than others or that they were trying to keep it at bay. But at this point of our relationship, after they've gained some clarity around um, who they are and that they what they feel and what they need has value, And that they can really give to themselves the love they need. And not only that, that they deserve to be loved by those around them as well. And that they can shift their relationships to be what actually affirms them versus them taking crumbs. Now they are looking at everything. Now they're not only just looking at romantic partnerships or their self-esteem. They're looking at how do they feel in their friendships. They're looking at how do they feel and how they're showing up in their family. They're looking at how do they feel and how are they showing up at work. They're looking at how do they show up in everyday life. And that's because they are changing. And so because they are changing, all these relationship dyads and triads and groups are going to transform as well. And what my clients were willing to take and what they're willing to brush under the rug and what they're willing to excuse is shifting as well. And so for me, even if they didn't, Uh, have awareness of it from the first session when I'm learning about their family and their relationships and their backgrounds, I'm paying attention to where I'm like, I don't think that that's helping them. And I think that this is probably reinforcing all these other problems. And so for me, it's helping them have clarity on all these relationships and they get to decide again, what what they want to do about it. This is a judgment-free zone. If you want to continue and maintain these relationships uh, with whoever, then that's on you. My job as your therapist is to help you see what is what's the impact of this and to help you make a decision for your own betterment. But you get to be the one to make that decision. Um, and that's not my only job. There's nuance to that statement. So please take that with some, some discernment that that's not a flat out judgment. I'm not going to, I'm not going to have a client who's like, yeah, I think I want to go walk into um, a burning building after our session. I'm going to be like, well, is that really what you want to do in your heart? Okay. Well, I can't, I can't stop you. Like there's going to be some, some pullback there y'all. But for the most part, experience is really the best teacher. And so, and having, What's the amazing thing about having a therapist too, especially a therapist that you love and that you connect to and that you trust, is having someone there who is going to either hold your hand through it or be there to support you and offer that that love, that connection, that truth, and that guidance for you to make sure that you don't try to run into a burning house again and then, you know, <laughs> pass it off as an empowered decision, you know? But yeah, I really would love for my love addict clients to have a full 360 makeover of their life in every area of their life. And that's how that's how we knew it was working. That's how we knew that things is, things were changing and movement was being made. And like I said at the beginning, all those things, all the goals that I would have in my that I currently have in my coaching program would come to pass in my therapy rooms with my therapy clients. It just took longer because the process is different. 
Uh, I have heard it said in circles that focus on sex and love addiction, that it takes two years of consistent therapy to break the patterns of love addiction and love avoidance. And so I can say I had mostly long-term clients. I could say that that was pretty much the case for, for many of my folks. And of course they stayed after they had created, you know, these changes and we talked about life and love and self-esteem everything and everything every week. As long as they needed me, I was there. But yeah, I would definitely agree with that. And and coaching does not have that same trajectory or timeline as long as you are invested and as long as you are actively working whatever program you're working or with whatever coach you're working with and really doing that internal work, that shadow work and using all your resources, absolutely people make transitions smoother or or quicker, I should say. But that does not eliminate you from doing real trauma work. Whatever coach you're working with, if you start to hit on, I mean, all these things are connected to our childhood trauma and some PTSD or complex PTSD. But if you hit on some trauma that is really impacting your functioning and your ability to do the work of whatever program or whatever solutions or homework that your coach or your person gives you, that person should refer you to therapy. They should refer you to a medical professional, a licensed medical professional to help you work through these deeper issues um, because coaching is not built for that. It is a very top, high level. This is our goals. This is our trajectory. This is our plan. And depending on the background, the person that you're working with. So like me with a therapy background, my clients get that same energy of that softness or that love or that um, validation, right? And that understanding that this is a process and working with them through that. So they kind of get this hybrid approach. But if there's something that I'm like, ooh, that might be an issue, I am not afraid to tell them, okay, I think you need to go do some therapy around this or especially EMDR. If If there's a roadblock that keeps coming up in their work, I am going to shout from the rooftops. I'd be considered an EMDR therapist because I love EMDR because it is, for the most part, it is a short-term protocol that is evidence-based and has been used for, what, decades now to help treat the most severe of PTSD and complex PTSD symptoms. And if you are a survivor of childhood trauma, you are a survivor of, if not PTSD, complex PTSD and things that you don't even have words for. Like there may be some feelings that you have that you can trace back to a certain incident, but you may just be feeling low and you may be feeling sad and you may be feeling resistant and you have no idea where it comes from. You just know that you've had this underlying ache for so long. And so EMDR is really great in helping to shift that out. But yeah, that is my, my four steps. So obviously If you cannot tell, these are still things that I still work on with my coaching clients. Uh, We have a different protocol that I use when I help people through these things, but these are still the goals. Uh, I want every woman who I work with, love addiction, love avoidance, love deprivation, or anything in between to get connected to themselves, to get connected to the life that they want, to get connected to resources and skills that will help them build the life that they want. And whether or not they're doing that Uh, within the container of my program or they're taking it and they're running with it and they're building this really great life and sending me emails and things later on to tell me about this life that they built, then that's what I want. I want them to get everything that they want and more because they deserve it. So if these are things that you would like to work on, I would love to be your coach. I would love to be your guide and help you get to the other side to help you become love balanced instead of love addicted, become love available versus love avoidant and feel more love nourished versus love deprived. Again, because you deserve it. I help women do this in my coaching program called The Recovery School. And you can learn more by going to therecoveryschool.com and reading about what that program entails. It is a lifetime program. I have women who've been in the program literally for years. Literally people who saw me while I was pregnant with my son, (laughs) my four-year-old son, 
who came, got what they needed, and still come back for support, for advice, for help whenever they need it, whenever they want to do a check-in. And I love that. And I have built this program to help you have tools or resources that you can come back to depending on what's going on, whatever stage of life that you're in to help you get to the next uh, next step and the next level. And also as a recovery school student, whenever I have other workshops or things, either you get it as Either it is grandfathered into part of your enrollment and you get complimentary access or you get a really significant discount as a recovery school alumni. And as many of you know, we just had our first student reunion in Mexico this fall. I'm hoping to do it next year as well. I'm just waiting to hear back from the travel agent on the location that I want to go to. So keep your eyes out for that. It's going to be fun location. So I'm trying to get it information as soon as possible. So as many people want to go, can go. That is it for now. Thank you all for being here. And I did have a little face come and pop in one time. And now I'm going to go back (laughs) and, and play because I think I'm already pushing my luck by having an almost hour long episode here at all. So that's it for now. I'll see you in the next one. And as always, take care of yourselves. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. Before we get started, let's take a small break to say thank you to this week's sponsors. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.